Welcome back to the program. Back in the 1940s, theologian Reinhold Niebuhr wrote the Serenity Prayer. You all know it. It tells us to accept those things that we can't change, the courage to change those things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Over the years, it's been adopted by AA and various other groups, but it might also be considered a coda for Cheryl Strayed's fantastically successful book, Wild. The story of her trek up the Pacific Crest Trail, it's also the story of her coming of age and coming to terms with life. And it is my pleasure to have Cheryl Strayed back on this program. Cheryl, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Great to have you here. In many ways, your journey was, was kind of a journey like Kurtz's. I mean, it really was a journey into kind of a heart of darkness for you. It was, in so many ways. And, and really, I began out of that place. You know, I was in this place of despair, of not knowing how to go forward or to, to become again this person I had intended to become. And so I began in, in the darkness, and I think it really in so many ways, you know, having to journey into perhaps a different kind of darkness, that, that, that very solitary place I reached in the course of my hike before I could find my way out. And part of what, what precipitated it is that your life was falling apart. Your mother had died at the age of 45. You were going through a divorce. Everything seemed to be going wrong. It did. And then on top of that, you know, I had that, that rather ordinary um, moment of being in my early 20s and trying to figure out who I was in the world. I think we all have to, to figure that out at that point in our lives and even if things are going well and we have a lot of happiness and support around us, one can feel a sense of being lost. And, and so in so many ways, I think that the story that I write in Wild is, was essentially my a rite of passage. I, I made that hike my own rite of passage. It's interesting because so much has been written lately about what we should and shouldn't do in our 20s, whether or not it should be a time of exploration and discovery and freedom, in many ways what it was for you, getting to learn more about yourself and your life, or whether or not, as it is for some 20-year-olds today, a time when they need to jump off quickly and launch their careers. Yeah, I certainly would be not in that camp in the jump off quickly. <laughs> you know, and I think really honestly at any stage of one's life, obviously uh, professional success, professional achievement is one of those things that is important to a lot of people at various points in their lives. And that does demand all kinds of things, you know, discipline and sacrifice and commitment and all of those things. So I, I'm by no stretch um, opposed to that. But I think that the first thing that must drive you, the engine essentially of your life and your passions are, you know, what makes you happy? Where, what are you, um, how are you evolving as a human being? Are you kind to others? Are you generous? You know, those things are, are deeper values to me than this, this kind of external success. And so I really think that, you know, I have two kids myself, they're seven and eight. And, uh, you know, I, 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 if you ask them, you know, what does your mother want you to be when you grow up, grow up they would say kind. Mm. And I think that that's really um, when you think about your life in that way, when you're, you know, you're 22 years old and you're not thinking, well, should I be an attorney or a doctor or an investment banker or a writer? Instead of thinking, what kind of human um, would I like to be? And I think that the way that that is revealed um, is through really doing things like going on journeys and taking risks and, and moving outside the comfort zone. And, and it ends up leading to a deeper kind of success. There's also the sense that the travel of any kind, certainly something as intense as the journey that you would take on the Pacific Crest Trail, the traveling of any kind frees you, opens you up in, in new ways. It really does. Have you, have you traveled yourself yes. much? 
Not yeah. not the kind of traveling you did, Cheryl, but yes. <laughs> a different kind. But no, it, it, it absolutely does. And, and any of your listeners who have gone on, on journeys large and small, uh, I'm sure will, will be nodding their heads right now because there's something about, go, I, I used the phrase earlier, going outside the comfort zone. And I think that's exactly what you're doing. You know, you're, you're in a new place, you're around new people. When you're alone, you're also open to the, that place and people in, in different ways uh, than, you, than you would be if you were in a group or with others. And that was one of the experiences I had on Wild. A lot of people say, well, why didn't you go with a friend? And, and you know, I think that that could have been also a powerful experience. But what I really needed to do was rely on myself to, to and through that process. You know, I, essentially all the decisions I, I made on that hike I was the one who paid all the consequences or who received all the benefits. And that, there was something very powerful about that over time, that I had to take full responsibility for my life, which, of course, then, you know, lent itself, it, it, it informed me in other realms. And there's also something about being alone that the world just opens itself up to you. When, when people see a woman alone, whether it's in Paris or on the PCT, uh, there's a sense of, uh, it, like, people t- are more likely to talk to you. And there's something about that that I just always have loved. I love to travel alone. Even though you had never done a backpacking trip like this before, you had a kind of initially a romantic notion of of what this journey would be like. It didn't quite turn out that way. That's right. Well, you know, I and I had hiked, gone on lots of day hikes. But yes, backpacking is, is very different than day hiking. I often say it's kind of like the difference between babysitting, uh, you know, twins for the afternoon and, and giving birth to twins, you know. And, um, the, you know, a day hike is just a, a, a wonderful thing. But, you know, you do wake up in your, in your bed and you, and you end up in your bed. And in backpacking, what you're doing is really going into that darkness, as you referred to earlier. Your, your uh, mission is to go deeper into the wilderness and not return home by day's end. And so there's something really uh, powerful about that. The other thing is, I, I think you're right. I, I did romanticize the hike before I was on it, but that's classic, that's classic Cheryl Strait, <laughs> you know, I have to say. And, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I think a lot of times we have the idea of these big things we do, um, get married or have children or decide to write a book. And at the outset, we're thinking of all of the glorious and positive things um, and the fun things about that experience. And then when you're in it, you see really how much more it requires. And, and it does require one to be strong and resilient and to keep the faith and all of those things. You even started out in a place that kind of sells the romance of this kind of journey, standing in line at an REI. That's right. I know. It is funny. And and don't you just get that when you walk into, you know, a, a REI yes. or any kind of outdoor store? You, know, you you walk in and suddenly you're like, you know, maybe I should become a kayaker, you know, because there's all this great gear or, you know, a rock climber or what have you. And b- because it does give you a sense of excitement and adventure, you know, just even to hold those objects in your hand. Which, which I think is a wonderful thing. I mean, I, I actually, you know, some people have, I mean, Wild has received so much love, so, so much love, love, love from readers, which I'm grateful for. But, you know, I've also heard some, some people have written to me and said, you know, I think it's terrible you went out there uh, so unprepared. And um, what I always think is interesting about that is, on one hand, I was actually, you know, I did nothing but prepare for about four or five months before my hike. And it was simply that I, I could, there were a lot of things that I couldn't possibly have been prepared for. And also, there are a lot of things that we just have to learn the hard way. 
You know, if every dream we undertook, uh, you know, we if, that we knew everything about it before we undertook it, you know, most of us wouldn't wouldn't follow that dream. And there's something beautiful about, you know, doing things like is very common among backpackers, you know, taking a backpack to have and realizing, wow, I'm, I miscalculated here, and then having to adjust and reassess and 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 do different things. And those are the things that really teach us. I don't regret anything that I had to learn the hard way. Well, so it's not like you came to it as someone that grew up in mid-Manhattan. I mean, you grew up kind of off the grid to start with in, in Minnesota. That's right. That's right. So, you know, I wasn't wildly unprepared. I was I was really already very comfortable in the wilderness. I knew how to do a lot of things that many many other people didn't. My I grew up without electricity or running water or indoor plumbing for, for all of my teen years. And and still even my stepfather still lives in the house that uh, my, my stepfather and mother built. And it still is only heated with a wood stove. And so, you know, we had to be really self-sufficient. And, and I also grew up without any money. My, my family, my mother was a single mother for most, for a big chunk of my early childhood. And then she married my stepfather, but we were always poor or working class. And as I write in Wild, I I had a chip on my shoulder about that to some extent um, for a while. I went off to college, and all of these people around me were getting help from their parents, and they had all of this financial support and security that, that I didn't have because I paid for my college myself. And it was really when I was on the PCT that I realized that a huge piece of what allowed me to take this adventure that ultimately was the thing that, that altered my life and in some ways saved me, uh, was that I that I'd ha- had grown up in that way, that I had seen my mother and my stepfather patch it together and to, do, to have a good life even if we didn't have a lot of money. And so I did the same thing. Uh, I, I didn't have, you know, a lot of people who've read Wild, you know, because that's a theme in the book, I'm always sort of short of cash right. out there on the trail. And a couple times I've had people say, well, why didn't you, you know, you didn't have enough money. Why didn't you bring more? Um, as if there were just money growing on trees or something that I could have brought more. But what I always say is, you know, I actually did have enough money. I didn't have enough money to, to get everything I wanted. I didn't have enough money to always be comfortable. But I had enough money because I did the trip. And, and there's a big difference between those two things. And I'm really grateful that that I knew that as a kid, because I saw it every day. To what extent did a lot of the anger issues that you talk about surrounding family and even surrounding your mother, to, to what extent did, was this a part of that, the, the economic issues, the way you grew up, the limitations, etc.? You know, I don't think, I never felt angry at, at my mother or stepfather for for those things, because I saw how hard they worked. I never felt um, that they had shorted me in that way, uh, if anything, the, I felt angry at the society and and the the people around me, my peers who had economic privilege and and took it for granted, and and also just assumed that everyone else did. That was the thing I was was really struck by, you know, because here I was in college, and um, you know, by, by all appearances, we were, you know, me and my peers were the same, but I but we were not, and I was acutely aware of that, and they were not. And, you know, they, we, we each had a car, for example, and, except their parents had bought them the car and was paying for their insurance, and I had, you know, worked three jobs and saved. Or spring break came, and I was doing a full-time temp, temp job, and they were going to Mexico. And so those things, I felt 
a lot of anger around that. And that and that's what I say when I when I say I had a sort of chip on my shoulder is I had to I had to grow up about that, and I also had to come to understand um, what essentially growing up in poverty had given me, which is actually strangely uh, a lot of self-confidence and the ability to uh, survive in the world um, by my by my wits in some ways mm-hmm. because I saw my mother do it. I, I, my mother really taught me how far a dollar could stretch, and that was a really powerful lesson. Talk a little bit about the physicality of the experience because from what we've talked about, I don't think people quite realize what a physically enduring process it was. It was really, really hard, and it was so much harder than I thought it would be. I went out there seeking spiritual rejuvenation and emotional healing. I had, you know, I was at this bottom point in my life, right? My mother, who is my dear, dear, you know, really only parent, had died this terrible death very suddenly, and I was I'd gotten divorced, and I had done all these things that I regretted. I felt really, at, you know, that I was in total despair. And I I went out there, so imagining, I guess, that I would be, you know, sort of weeping and wailing on sunsets mm-hmm. and, and finding myself in the, in the beauty of the wild. And instead of focusing on those things, I get out there, and really what I'm focused on are things like my feet, which were killing me, this ridiculously heavy pack that I was carrying that really, honestly, I couldn't even lift at the beginning of the journey. I had to get it on in this, in this funny way I write about in wild. I couldn't even stand up beneath the pack. And then there I was, you know, on this really remote trail and really rugged trail. I set off um, near the town of Mojave, California. The PCT crosses there at Tehachapi Pass. And so I'm there in these mountains of the Mojave Desert. And I didn't see another human being for the first eight days of my hike. I had to carry big amounts of water because the water sources were far apart. And I was suddenly in the world of the body. I was out of the mind, out of the spirit, and into the body. Because all I could think about was how much everything hurt and how hard it was to cover these miles and how demanding to walk up and down mountains through all kinds of weather and so forth. And so it was it was all about the physical. And at first I resented that. I thought, you know, I'm, I didn't come out here for this. And then pretty quickly I understood, no, this was exactly what I needed. You know, I, I didn't need to get more in touch with my emotions. I needed to do something that was hard and so, and in some ways to physically enact what I was feeling on the inside. You know, I, I, you know, I just told you about that backpack that I, mm-hmm. I literally couldn't lift. I couldn't bear that backpack. But what was happening to me inside is I couldn't bear the world without my mother. I couldn't bear the world with me in it, the, the me who had made those mistakes. And so, so much of Wild and that experience for me was about how I came to bear all of those things in both literal ways and, and figurative ways. And, and so it ended up being a far more profound experience through that physical um, experience of the journey. There's also the sense of learning in retrospect, perhaps more than any, at any other point, about that whole mind-body connection that even when you were in the physical, that it did shape how you would begin to look at things and how you would begin to deal with your life. Yeah. And, you know, right. And I think that that in retrospect piece of it is really key to to my book. I took the hike in 1995 when I was 26. And I should note to your listeners that, you know, 1995 was a different world um, on the PCT uh, solely because there wasn't really, you know, the Internet or cell phones or any of that stuff then. So I was really... 
I was really out there. I wasn't. I didn't have an iPhone in my back pocket. Um, so I went. I went out there, and and I think that that you know certainly when I was on the hike, I understood that I was doing something that was significant and, and life altering. I certainly felt that way on the last day of my hike. But I didn't write the book until I started writing it in 2008. And it was because I didn't really have anything to say about the experience until some time had passed. I needed to, to grow up and I needed to become the writer I could become and also to see how that journey was sort of made man, manifest in my life. And I think that that's the piece of, of Wild, uh, writing from that, that perspective of the years, that I can really clearly see that younger version of myself and what I was going through. I always say, you know, I didn't write wild because I took a hike. I wrote wild because I'm a writer. And the difference is has to do with, you know, what does the writer, uh, you know, what is the consciousness she brings to bear on that story? Um, you know, and I think that that was it. I needed to really understand what that experience was before I could write about it. And how much was shaped by a sense of humility in the face of, of the obstacles, in the face of nature? It was huge. I, I would... I would use that word humility way up there, you know, in the top two or three words that I would associate with uh, the power of that hike. And I think all of us, we go when we go into the wild places, there is this sense of awe and humility because we can see how big and the world is and how indifferent to us and how we, we aren't, you know, I think in the, the urban life that many of us lead, we sort of forget that we are animals too. You know, there isn't, you know, there isn't uh, such a huge divide between us and the rest of the animal kingdom. Um, and you're reminded of that when you go into the wild. You, we're just one among many, many things. And those other things have their own uh, intentions <laughs> and, and, and goals that don't have anything to do with us. And that's a really amazing experience. And, and, and also, um, simply that, that fact of, you know, what it takes to, to survive. You know, there's a big difference between turning on the tap for water and suddenly recognizing water as, um, you know, a scarce resource that you actually have to find out there. You know, just like a, a, a mountain lion or a deer or a snake has to find that water, so do you. And so you're constantly looking for the creeks and the ponds and the riverbeds. It's, it's a fascinating shift in perspective. Cheryl Strayed, wild. Cheryl, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you.